to welcome in Coach Ellis Johnson to Sports Talk once again to talk about a more serious note, the passing of Coach Art Baker over the weekend. And we'll touch on some other things as well. Coach Johnson, good evening. Happy New Year to you. Good evening. Same to you. I didn't know we had not talked since the New Year. Has it been since the New Year? I wished him a happy new year off off air. I couldn't remember. I can't remember. Well, uh, I thought we came on and talked about one of the bowl games, but uh, I must be wrong. Well, maybe. Did we wish you a happy new year? Then we'll do. We'll just we'll just double up on our happiness. (laughs) Yeah, and I had a birthday on the twenty third of December. Yeah, happy birthday! I think we wished you happy birthday back then. Yeah, twenty third of December. You're almost a Christmas baby. I didn't realize that. Yeah, we got got Rick Stockstill and Kirby Smart on the same day. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's nice to I know. Have, I should have saved those for a trivia question at the next Lions Club. But I, <laughs> that all three of you guys were born on the same day. Yeah, but the ages are a little different. Well, I'm much younger than they are. But oh yeah, yeah. still kind of unusual, you know. I understand. I understand. <laughs> Art Baker. You knew Coach Baker extremely well. You worked for him a couple of different times in your coaching career. When you think about Art Baker, what memories come to you? Well, obviously the coaching memories do, Phil, because I worked for him both at the Citadel and then uh, at East Carolina. And uh, But I, I knew Coach Baker many, many years before that and knew of him even as a kid. You know, He, he uh, started off coaching, I think he was either at Newberry and also Luda, he was the first coach, I think, <clears throat> when Oakland High School was open. And he you know, immediately turned them into a great program. I don't know how good they were in 58, 59, but I grew up in Winsboro. The, the high school was called Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. Had a bunch of good athletes there. Ronnie Collins would be one that University of South Carolina fans know. But uh, they played Oakland two years in a row. They were only Class A. Oakland was class three, which is the biggest back then. And they split with them. They beat him the second year. But uh, that's the first time I heard Coach Baker's name. I think I was seven years old. Next time I met him, he was the head freshman coach at Clemson. A lot of people don't remember that. And uh, we were all so impressed. We'd go up for games. They'd get tickets and so forth. We'd go to the games. And he was always so impressive. He was the guy we all talked about when we left. And then, you know, through his coaching career, I had the good fortune to work for him at Citadel and then again at East Carolina. I think, you know, football-wise, a lot of folks don't know, he was a really he was a tremendous offensive coach and, and was pretty innovative. Uh, he was kind of on the front end of that split-back veer, went down to work for Jim Carlin at Texas Tech, and they had quite, a, quite an offense. And uh, he came to Furman, though, he switched it to an I and ran the mesh a little bit further away from the defensive ends that were crashing or whatever. And he was very successful with it. Uh, a little bit later, he, he ended up running the freeze option path out of it with the path hitting over the zero hole. He did not invent that, but he was in with a couple of guys that really got that rolling. And then while he was in East Carolina, he transitioned that freeze option to the double slot formation, so like Paul Johnson ran. But Coach ran a freeze option off of it. And then he incorporated the run-and-shoot offense that Jim Jones invented. i tell you, his last years at East Carolina offensively, they were really, really good. It, it just weren't good enough defensively to play that schedule they played. 
just a just a wonderful man. You, you always hear the expression, he may be a great coach, but he's an even better man. And that, that really applies to Coach Baker. Yeah, I want to ask you about that side of him because following him as a coach, and but then later on in life, just kind of seeing him at various football events, hearing him talk, uh, seeing how football people – uh, reached out to him and reacted to him. It seems like he was just as good in managing people as he was in managing a football team. No doubt. And uh, you know, he wasn't a grinder. We didn't meet a lot. But he was always kind of organized, very meticulous. And, and and the biggest thing is he enjoyed working for it because, I mean, he, he was a man that was a good leader, but he, he, was, he was almost more of a leader by example. And, uh, there's one funny story. I know anyone who knows him well knows that he cannot stand profanity. Hmm. And he had all these little buzzwords that he had the the buzzword for you know what was crapping. <laughs> and the, and the other, one of the buzzwords the buzzwords was has been drift. I can't I can't translate that over there. Uh-huh. But he had all these little sayings, you know. And I had a, I now have to confess I had a bad habit when I lose my temper. Mm. I let one fly on the headphones. <laughs> and when I was working for him in East Carolina, I'd be in the press box and he was on the headphones down on the sideline. I'd always be hoping he was on the offensive phones. But I'd I'd slip up and and say something when somebody missed a tackle or something. And Coach would say, Ed has cut out that frapping cussing. It ain't never made a tackle. <laughs> and I can still hear that voice. I mean, it was just, it happened, it happened too many times, Bill. But it, it was never one that slipped that he didn't catch. Talking with Ellis Johnson, I'll tell you what, you mentioned Eau Claire. And you go back to that Eau Claire staff, and there was him, of course. And there was Dick Sheridan, and there was Jimmy Satterfield, I believe, and there was a guy named – a lot of people always overlook him when they talk about the Furman coaching staff, Tree, but Steve Robertson, I think, was there with him in Eau Claire. And I don't – I'm trying to think. Uh, maybe you know more, but, I mean, that was one heck of a of a high school staff that he pieced together, and then, of course, they kind of – I, I guess followed him to to Furman eventually, and it went on from there. That's right. When he left Furman, uh, excuse me, left Eau Claire to go to Clemson to coach the freshman, Coach Howard. Steve Robertson took over Eau Claire. Dick went to Orangeburg, and Jimmy, I think Jimmy went to Sumter. But he, they all went to head coaching jobs, mm-hmm. and in, in the state of South Carolina, they were all successful. And and I actually worked my first high school job was with Bobby Carlton and Gaffney. And Bobby was either with Coach Baker before they broke that up or he went to work with Steve Robinson. But he was an Eau Claire coach, sort of in that lineage. And uh, it was it was a fantastic group. And then, like you say, he, he regrouped that guy, those guys when he came back from Texas Tech. And folks may not realize that Furman was about to shut the doors. They, they were just about to give up on scholarship football. Hmm. And they brought him in, and they said, if you can get it going again, you know, we'll keep rolling. And he turned it around almost immediately. And uh, they they never won less than eight games. And and just from the previous programs that he took at Hope, I mean, they were four wins, three wins. 
turned it around to me. Yeah. And all those guys were on his staff. And most all of them either ended up at NC State with Dick or uh, ended up with their own programs. So when he goes from Furman to the Citadel, which was like blasphemous back then, as intense as that rivalry was back then, I mean, that's like going from South Carolina to Clemson or the other way around. You just don't do it. What do you recall about those days when that was coming down? Did you know it was going to happen? And what what do you remember about the reaction as he made the move from Furman to the Citadel? Well, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I was actually uh, – Joe Turberville was interviewed for that job, too. He was At the time, he was still at Spring Valley. And he took me and he took Craig Tyler, who was one of his assistants, and we went down with him. We didn't go in the interview, but went down for the interview. And if he got the job, we were going. And and I was really excited about it and hopeful. He felt like he had a great interview. The, inter- the athletic director at that time coached Coach Peverville and said it all back in the 60s when they went to Tangerine Bowl. Uh, but they ended up hiring Coach Baker. And he but he came to Furman. He was very successful there. The reason he made that move is he had all those years in the state of South Carolina with Clemson and with uh, his high school jobs. Mm-hmm. And it just made sense for him to, you know, go down and get all those South Carolina years. They're similar to what I did when I came to Carolina. So he did that for that reason. None of his coaches wanted to go. And none of them came with him. Mm-hmm. And the only one that may have come, and I don't know if he was coaching for him at the time, but he was sort of a, in the coaching tree, was Mike O'Kane. But uh, he never beat the Citadel when he was at Furman. I mean, he'd win nine and ten games. We would win four and beat him every time. And I never lost to Furman when I was in college. I did not play on good football teams. Mm. But uh, our people, and I, I don't mind if they hear our people were absolutely football ignorant on the whole thing because still, when he left there, at that time, he was the winningest coach in Citadel history. And he was fired. And to this day, they don't appreciate what he did there, in my opinion at least not enough people. He should be in the Citadel Hall of Fame, and he's not. Uh, it's just ridiculous uh, well, for the job he did. He was never appreciated. Well, he's in the South Carolina Athletic Hall of Fame. My goodness, I would think that he would be in the, the school's halls of fame. I'm not sure. Is, I think he's in – is he in Furman's? I think he's in Furman's Hall of Fame. I'd have to look that up, but – have you made? Have you taken that argument to the people at the Citadel? I bet you have. I, I have not, but if it ever comes up, they know my opinion very clearly. And John Carlisle has been extremely active with our football association, which is our Letterman's Club, and he's tried to get it going. And it just, I don't know, it just, I don't mean to be self-critical of our institution, but people down there that have the ability to make those decisions must not know football. Well, they don't know the history of our school. Yeah. So, Art, boy, I tell you, it's been uh, kind of a tough, uh, what, six or seven months. We lose Dick Sheridan. Now we lose Art Baker within uh, a relatively short time frame. Yeah, I had forgotten about that. It hasn't been that long ago when we lost uh, Dick Sheridan. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of those times. You know, lost Coach Turberville just a few short years ago, and uh, a lot of the coaches that – I either worked for or played for, you know, coming through those times. But, uh, you know, Coach was 94, had a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. And if, if folks never met his wife, 
you missed out. She was a, a, the epitome of a coach's wife, and she was a she was a beautiful lady, and just as I mean, as supportive and helpful. And the players that played for Coach Baker probably remember her every bit as well as they remember him because she was always doing things. She she was a lot like Jerry Spurrier. She was always doing things and organizing things for the players, and uh, just a, just a beautiful person. Well, the funeral will be Wednesday in Sumter, I believe at 2 o'clock. So look forward to seeing you and a bunch of others there at that. Let's turn our attention for a couple of moments away to the here and now of football. And uh, you know Alabama well from your times there. You know you know that neighborhood. I mean, it's been a long time since you were there, but you got a good taste of it when you were there. Uh, and now they're going through uh, a coaching change for the first time in, what, 17 years and they've gone outside the sec footprint to bring in a guy who has a terrific record as we all know um what do you think uh is it going to work for uh, kalen DeBoer with alabama I, I don't think we can predict that either way i don't think it has anything to do with where he's coached or where he's from uh recruiting these days is not regional anymore and to say well this guy doesn't know the region this guy doesn't fit in there. This guy, that, uh, you know, if he fits in with people who support the program and so forth and, and does a good job with that, that's about all that matters. I mean, recruiting now is about who's got the best NIL, who's got the tradition that first of all attracts kids. And then you got to go in and kind of sell them on what you're going to run. You got to match your paycheck. I know that sounds crass, but that's the way it is right now. Mm. And you got to get that done and make sure that's not an obstacle. You may not have to pay them more than the other school, but you better be able to pay them about the same thing or they're going to go somewhere else. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Now, whether he win, I don't know. And, and they do have a, a history of being hard to please, and that's the way places are that have high expectations. You know, there were many years in between Coach Bryant and Coach Saban and even the good years we had with Coach Dollars, uh, there were many years in there, coaches not making it for two or three years. And in that place, you know, it's, it's ridiculous that you shouldn't be able to establish yourself and be successful. But sometimes you end up in conflict with your own camp. It's hard enough to win football games and everybody's on the same page. Mm. And when they're not, you know, it, it can be a tough job. So, you know, I think if they if they do, you know, if they don't accept him initially and jump on board, it won't work. Uh, but you know, if he's, he's got to overcome his own fan base and the SEC, mm. you got no chance. Mm. Well, if they, if people don't realize that even Coach Stallings, when we came in, they were so starved for somebody that had a Bear Bryant label on them, and they were more patient with Coach Stallings than they were with the other coaches. We're running in and out of there. Yeah. And and Phil we were in three the first year. And then Vanderbilt came to town and we got a win. <laughs> and and then of course two years later we're the national champions undefeated. But you have to have your own people on board and pulling the rope to the same way or you're fighting something all the time. Well, Gene Stallings was fortunate enough to not only be an excellent coach, he also sounded like uh, Bear Bryant. So I think they thought he was the, the reincarnation. But, I mean, you flash back to what happened at Clemson after Danny Ford resigned 
in 89, and Ken Hatfield was brought in from totally outside the area and outside the culture and, and all that kind of stuff, when they could have hired somebody from right there on the staff and, and kept it going from that standpoint. And, I mean, it started out well, but then it went downhill. But I remember Frank Howard being at the press conference when Hatfield arrived and shaking his cane at Clemson fans who were there booing him as he was walking into the stadium, like, hey, you know, he's our guy, accept him, et cetera. So, I mean, that was quite the split. Now, this is certainly different circumstances, but um, I don't know. I mean, we'll see if the Alabama fans give this guy time or if after the first loss or the second loss, it's like, oh, you know, here we go. Programs are already slipping. That's right. I mean, just, you know, time will tell. Uh, and, and in the Clemson situation, I wasn't there when the first one turned, but when Coach Hatfield left, I was on the next staff. And, and Tommy was a Clemson guy and had been on Coach, Coach Ford's staff. The problem at Clemson is, administratively, they overreacted to the NCAA problem. And fan base-wise, they overreacted to the fact that Danny was fired. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the fans weren't really yelling at Hatfield as much as they were yelling at Chaney. They, they did not want change. They didn't care if uh, Newt Rockney walked in the door. <laughs> it wasn't going to please them. They just weren't. They, yeah. they were going to fight it all the way. And it, by the time it quieted down, he got enough. Don't go back and check Hatfield's record. It wasn't real bad. And he recruited some good players, too. I'm not going to say it was as, as strong. It certainly wasn't as strong when he left. Talent-wise is what he inherited. But – he did do a heck of a job, and he overcame a lot of their own problems internally to get it done. Yeah, uh, and then, then of course, you know, and we didn't have great success with Tommy. We never had a really proven quarterback, and it just, you know, every year was a struggle. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out to be with us tonight. It's great uh, talking to you, talking about football, talking about Coach Baker. I guess we'll see you Wednesday over in Sumter, and you'll be, uh, I'm sure, reminiscing a lot more with folks there. So thanks for the time. Uh, Happy New Year. Happy birthday. uh, Happy Tuesday tomorrow. And any other happiness we can share with you? I appreciate you letting me come on because it's always really an honor to even get to talk about Coach Baker. Yeah. Fine man. Thank you, Appreciate Coach. It, Coach. Thanks, See Coach, you Wednesday. Sir. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you very much.